Welcome to the High Fidelity Podcast. I am your host, Bridget Conry, coming to you from Dialed Studio at Hula on the shores of beautiful Lake Champlain in Burlington, Vermont. MJ BizCon is happening this week, and Shane Lynn, the executive producer of the show and member of our creative crew, is out in Vegas to connect with our network of industry friends, to create new business relationships, and to suss out this year's trends. We'll take a look at some of his key findings in just a moment. But first, our quick hits on the cannabis marketplace and some high fives to get the ball rolling. First, our Vermont update. It has been a minute since I last reported on what is happening here at home. In this week's CCB meeting, 14 applications were approved for licensure. Five retailers, five cultivators, three manufacturers, and one integrated license. Integrated licenses are only available to the medical cannabis dispensaries. This one went to Vermont Patients Alliance in Middlesex, which is owned by Cureleaf, a multi-state operator. They are the second medical dispensary to cross the threshold into adult use after Series Med in Burlington. Bryn Hare, the executive director of the CCB, noted that this is the first week where they have seen a dramatic slowdown in the amount of new applications submitted. Only one was received, and that was for a mixed cultivation license. It'll be interesting to see if this is the beginning of a general slowdown or an anomaly. I have heard from quite a few interested parties that they are taking a wait-and-see approach to this new market. It could also just be the upcoming holidays. Who knows? On the retail side of things, the total number of licensed and in-process applications has risen to 53. As to be expected, most of these are located in or near the population centers of Burlington, Montpelier, Middlebury, Waterbury, Brattleboro, and Rutland, with others sprinkled throughout the state in smaller towns that have opted in to retail sales. Quite a few brands have entered the market, and we are starting to see variety across all product categories. Inventory levels are still low in places, especially on the weekends. If you are able to, check online menus and order ahead to get the best selection. We checked in with Michael Sims of Flora Cannabis in Middlebury to learn how things are going and what he is learning from his customers. Flora was one of the three retailers to open their doors on day one of legal sales on October 1st of this year. Hey, Bridget. It's Michael. I was just uh, on a Zoom call with uh, a menu provider that integrates with Dutchie so that I could have uh, real-time menus on display for flour, pre-rolls, edibles, and specials that we're running because I've been updating it manually every day, sometimes three or four times a day if we sell out. And I'm really excited to have a solution that ties into our inventory real-time. Um, so that's exciting. Um, today marks our second month in business. Um, we opened October 1st. We were one of the first stores open. And uh, it's been quite a learning experience. We opened with some really great flour. I think we had eight or nine strains, maybe a couple of pre-roll options. And uh, slowly but surely more flour came in, more pre-rolls came in. Uh, everyone was asking for gummies. There were a couple of weeks we didn't have any, and now we do. We have, I think we have about eight or nine different gummy options on the menu, which is exciting. All different, uh, a few different brands, some distillate, some live rosin, some 2.5 milligrams, some 5 milligrams, 
some one milligrams even. Uh, I just got some chocolates yesterday, which is exciting for the holidays. I hadn't had any chocolates. I hadn't had anything other than gummies, really. We've had some capsules and some oils as well, but um, nothing consistent. And the next thing is to try to tackle some vape carts somehow. Um, uh, lots of people asking for them, and uh, there's a kind of a snafu with vape carts. The state is taxing uh, vape carts uh, 92%, same as a tobacco vape, which is making it problematic to get carts out into the market because manufacturers don't want to deal with that. Um, and plus, a lot of rosin and distillate is going into the gummy production right now. So plentiful gummies, plentiful flour, plentiful pre-rolls. We have some amazing flour here. We just got our first 29% uh, flour in uh, Sour Kush from Mad River Terps. He's the cultivator here in Starksboro, Vermont. Really, really nice flour. I've got some other local flour here from Satori and Middlebury that is 27 and 25%. Mansfield mints and ice cream gelato are those two strains. Um, so just some really premium flour here. I've got some nice uh, glassware and some cool grinders and a great staff to help people here if, uh, if they have questions. I think everyone should, I hope everyone should, will come down to our store here in Middlebury on Park Street and check us out. Um, you know, it's been... Every day that I get that out there on the floor, I, I get a really amazing story about someone um, who, uh, let's see, just take this uh, woman, Marge, who was in last week. She's a veteran. She's had 21 different surgeries on her body from an accident uh, when she was serving. And she's been dealing with the VA since, you know, for 20 years. And she's been on uh, painkillers and narcotics for 15 years. And finally, the VA told her to try cannabis so her first experience with cannabis was about three weeks ago in here and uh, she's already told us that it's changed her life and she's weaning herself off of pharmaceutical drugs so um, in the end that's that's my goal here um, and uh, you know you wouldn't believe how many people are 65 years old for example and simply don't would never break the law so they've never tried cannabis because it's never been legal. And now that it is, they're walking in the door and they're curious. And uh, we're, we're helping to usher them into uh, the world of plant-based medicine. So it's really exciting here at Flora. Um, I hope to see people down there, uh, down here. And, um, you know, if I can ever be of any further help to you or any other dispensaries, my email is michael at floravt.com. Uh, contact me. I've, uh, I, I've been in contact with Scott down at Bud Barn, but I don't know too many other dispensary owners, and I'd be happy to uh, share information uh, because uh, we all got to grow together, and um, I think that's how it's all going to succeed. So um, anyway, thanks, Bridget, for what you're doing, and um, I hope to see you soon. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for the update, Michael. And thanks for the call out to other dispensary owners to connect. We are definitely all in this together. Also in this week's board meeting, Chair Pepper advised license holders to get up to speed on tax calculation and payment. He noted that the state does not accept cash payments for taxes. Up until this point, the CCB has allowed businesses to be licensed without a commercial bank account. 
This was done because the CCB was originally concerned that applicants would not be able to secure an account due to the lack of banks offering this service. In lieu of a bank account, applicants were allowed to submit a cash management plan as part of their application. Now that more banks have announced that they will open accounts for cannabis businesses, Chair Pepper stated that the CCB will no longer accept cash management plans. Finally, Commissioner Harris read the guidance on packaging requirements. Vermont is the first state to restrict plastic packaging, an almost complete ban save some waivers that have been given due to a lack of options for certain items like droppers for sublingual products. Vermont is not even allowing eco-plastics, ones that are made from recycled ocean plastic or that are biodegradable over time. This is proving to be a big hurdle for some businesses to clear, and the CCB has been getting quite a bit of pushback. We are all for sustainable, eco-friendly options here at High Fidelity, That being said, I can't think of any other industry that is forced to abide by a no-plastic rule. Should we be incentivizing and creating opportunities for reusable, refillable, recyclable options? Absolutely. But this ban just seems a little too far for an emerging industry that is already overburdened by regulation and extra costs. Those are my two cents. (laughs) Moving on, I'm going to take a detour from cannabis here and speak about what just happened at the Oregon midterms regarding psilocybin-assisted therapy. Back in 2020, Oregon became the first state to legalize psilocybin in this setting. Specifically, the measure allows for state-licensed facilities with trained counselors administering the drug. There is no market to access mushrooms, and possession and consumption outside of the license program is prohibited. The law gave municipalities the ability to either place a two-year moratorium or an outright ban on these services. Because the measure is set to roll out next year, 27 counties and dozens of cities put the questions to voters this past week. The majority of them voted to prohibit. As tends to be the trend with the legalization of, quote, drugs, one might say progressive initiatives in general, bans are taking shape mostly in rural areas, with larger urban areas showing overwhelming support. For Oregon, this means that almost three-quarters of the population, those in cities or the suburbs, will have access to this therapy, but those living in rural areas may have to travel quite a distance to obtain these important mental health services. And here is one for the books. On Tuesday of this week, the governor of Kentucky, Andy Beshear, a Democrat, made an executive order permitting the possession and use of medical cannabis effective January 1st, 2023. Now, Kentucky has not legalized medical or adult-use cannabis, so it has no dispensary system or home-grow rights. What this order does is protect Kentuckians from prosecution when they purchase cannabis legally in another state and then are discovered possessing this cannabis by Kentucky law enforcement. Essentially, the executive order is a pardon for people who get caught with cannabis after January 1st. This is the first time we've seen anything like this. And here are the rules that Kentuckians must follow in order to be pardoned if they find themselves in this situation. One, the medical cannabis must be lawfully purchased in a jurisdiction that allows for medical cannabis. Two, they must have written proof of the legal purchase, including when and where they bought it. Basically, they need a detailed receipt. Three, they cannot possess more than eight ounces of cannabis. Now that's half a pound, which is pretty generous considering Vermont only allows patients two ounces. I guess the thinking here is that if you have to travel for it, you might as well stock up. And four, they must be at least 21 years old and have a diagnosis drawn from a list of 21 conditions. 
This diagnosis has to be certified by a physician with whom the patient has a bona fide relationship. In essence, they have to have a doctor's note. We're going to get to why this is all a little crazy in a moment, but first, let's talk about where Kentuckians supposedly will be able to legally access cannabis as designated by these rules. And we're just talking nearby. Kentucky shares borders with seven states. Only one of them, Illinois, has an open market for adults. Missouri just passed adult use last week, but it will be some time before stores are open there. Virginia allows possession and home grow, with no marketplace. And Ohio and West Virginia have medical, but those dispensaries are only open to residents of their states with no reciprocity agreements. Let's take a moment to define reciprocity. Reciprocity means that a state medical program will allow registered patients in other state medical programs to shop at their dispensaries. Not to get too far down a rabbit hole here, but reciprocity is really important for medical patients because it means they don't have to break federal law to take their cannabis medicine with them when they travel out of state. Instead, they can purchase cannabis in the state they are visiting. To bring this home to Vermont, we don't allow reciprocity. Only Vermont residents can purchase from the licensed medical dispensaries. By contrast, Maine and Rhode Island do, so registered patients in Vermont can legally purchase there. Anyhow, back to Kentucky's other neighbors, Indiana and Tennessee. Neither of them have legalized cannabis under any conditions. So Kentuckians are really limited in their options to purchase cannabis for medical use. And we're not even getting into the discussion of the added costs of travel and how that limits access to only those who have the financial means to do so. To top it all off, as I mentioned earlier, it is federally illegal for anyone to transport cannabis across state lines even if it is between states where cannabis is legal. So basically, Governor Bashir just told his constituents to break federal law, and he asked them to get a receipt for it. (laughs) Really strange and sad, to be honest. It shouldn't be this hard or risky to access plant-based medicine, and it just goes to show how important it is to legalize cannabis at the federal level. I'm thinking that Governor Bashir did this in response to President Biden's recent federal pardons of possession for cannabis and his request to governors to do the same at the state level. We discussed this a couple episodes back in our high fives. What Governor Bashir is doing here is not what Biden requested, but I hope that it sends a clear signal to Biden on just how ridiculous this is and it inspires him to fulfill his campaign promise to at least legalize medical cannabis. Speaking of high fives, let's get those done. First, Colorado becomes the second state to legalize psilocybin-assisted therapy. Yay! It passed by a small margin, approximately 52 to 48 percent. Like Oregon, it must be done in state-licensed facilities with trained counselors. Unlike Oregon, adults will be able to grow and possess mushrooms at home. The initiative also paves the way for the state to explore other services using naturally occurring psychedelics. In California, UC Berkeley's Center for the Science of Psychedelics embarked on the first-of-its-kind training for guides assisting patients' psychedelic experiences in both therapeutic and research settings. Twenty-four advanced professionals, including nurses, social workers, doctors, and chaplains, will take part in this nine-month, 175-hour program. We encourage folks to subscribe to this center's newsletter, The Microdose, available for free on Substack. 
It will keep you up to date on the science, business, and culture of psychedelics, and it does it in a very digestible way without taking up too much of your time. Finally, a big high five goes out to Nancy Whiteman, co-founder and CEO of Wana Brands, based in Boulder, Colorado. I've always been a big fan of Nancy. Not only has she built one of the most successful cannabis brands in the world, in one of the most competitive categories, gummies, she has done so without losing track of the important things. High-quality ingredients, sustainable, eco-friendly supply chains, social justice, and philanthropic initiatives to support Juana's local community and the community at large, particularly in the areas of mental health. She's also a very nice person and makes herself accessible to other women in the industry. I have had the opportunity to talk with her on a few occasions, including over lunch at the Canatech conference in Tel Aviv a few years back. One of her key pieces of wisdom as a gummy manufacturer that I'll always remember is just how important your fruit pectin is in creating a consistent gummy. Once you find the one that works for your recipe, lock up that supply chain because it will make or break you. Nancy made a splash in 2021 when she successfully sold her company to Canopy Growth for just under $300 million. She has remained on as CEO and established the Wana Brands Foundation with $50 million the company received from the sale. Last week, the foundation made its largest philanthropic donation to date, $3 million to John Hopkins University. $2 million is dedicated to the John Hopkins Cannabis Science Laboratory and one million to the Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research. Scientists at the Cannabis Lab announced that the gift will be used to conduct research on the potential therapeutic benefits of cannabis in the treatment of autism. Way to put your money where your mouth is, Nancy. High five. Let's take a short break, and when we return, we'll share our hot takes from the first couple days of MJ BizCon. We'll be right back. We are back and talking takes from MJ BizCon. To those of you not familiar with MJ BizCon, it is the largest cannabis business conference in the world. This year, there are over 35,000 attendees and more than 1,400 exhibitors. There are lots of seminars and networking opportunities to learn from experts in the field. And of course, lots of opportunities to party. It is Vegas after all. This is the 11th year for the event. It originated in 2012 in Denver, We were there, learning and networking in preparation for opening Champlain Valley Dispensary, Vermont's first licensed medical cannabis operation. The conference was held in a funky, historic Masonic temple in an out-of-the-way part of town, and there were only about 400 people in attendance, mostly men and without a doubt predominantly white. At the time, MJ Business Daily, the organizer of the annual event, described it as the largest business-focused medical cannabis event ever held in the U.S. If I remember correctly, the exhibitor hall housed only about a dozen vendors. The area of focus was primarily medical cannabis because it was only the week before that both Colorado and Washington State passed measures to legalize recreational cannabis, the first states to do so. About 13 states had medical programs underway, 
with another five allowing for home grow and possession of medical cannabis. We've come a long way, baby. So what's new at the conference? Ten years later, with 37 states enacting some form of medical program and 21 plus D.C. and Guam with adult use? For one, psychedelics. This is the first year that the conference has organized a separate track of content focused on the business, science, and culture of psychedelics. As more and more anecdotal evidence and research confirms that psychedelics can be helpful addressing a variety of mental health conditions, legalization efforts are moving full steam ahead in many states. Interestingly, psilocybin, LSD, peyote, and MDMA are all listed as Schedule I drugs and prohibited by the Controlled Substances Act of 1970, the same as cannabis. Psychedelics appear to be following the trajectory of cannabis legalization, with medical use leading the way. It feels like it is happening faster, though, than it did with cannabis. Is this because the legalization of cannabis has paved the way for these health movements, or because psychedelics have not suffered from racist policies and thinking the way that cannabis has? Probably both. On the expo floor, pre-roll manufacturing equipment is ubiquitous. Pre-rolls are obviously nothing new. They are actually old school, but we've never seen so many options for automating manufacturing. This makes sense since pre-rolls sell well in the recreational market. Many new consumers don't roll, so to speak, and want the convenience of, you guessed it, a pre-roll. They are especially desirable for tourists who usually don't travel with their grinder and want to get a sense of the local cannabis flavor when in town. Every retail store in Vermont that I've talked to has had a hard time keeping them in stock. Don't let anyone tell you different. Pre-rolls are not easy to make well, especially in bulk. A lot goes into providing a smooth smoke. The quality of the input, whether it's trim or flour, how the flour is cured, the mill of the flour, which means the size and consistency of the grind, the density of the pack, the list goes on. We'll focus on this topic in more detail in a future episode. Terpenes continue to be of interest, and some companies are really upping their game. Our favorite, Ibna Terpene Technologies, recently launched a functional line of terpene formulas that target receptors in the body that may help to achieve specific functions or feelings. This is quite a bit of progress from where most companies started, creating botanically sourced representations of specific cultivars, like Jack Herrer, in an attempt to recreate flavor or a basic uplifting or sedating experience. Kudos to Ibna for taking it next level. When it comes to business, while the mood and energy was relatively high amongst attendees, industry experts had cause for concern. Chris Walsh, the CEO of MJ Biz, always kicks off the conference with a look back at the year that was in cannabis and his predictions for the future. This year, it was pretty grim, in some cases, downright ugly. Why? Headset, a leading cannabis industry data company, provided the following three perspectives. One, mature markets are stagnating. Colorado, Oregon, California, Washington, and others all have seen their sales drop in 2022, since peak sales in 20 and 21. Two, average item prices in these markets have decreased from $24.41 in January of 2020 to $21.43 in October of this year. And three, discounts as a percentage of sales have almost doubled since January 2019 to now, from 11.5% to 21.3%. 
Chris Walsh also spoke to the rise of Delta-8 THC and other hemp-based CBD derivatives that are cutting into the THC market. These cannabinoids are unregulated and are thriving in states that don't have legal access to cannabis. Some states have banned them, like Vermont, but others are choosing to allow them or even regulate them instead of legalizing cannabis. Texas is a notable example, and Governor Bashir in Kentucky included a path to regulation in his recent executive orders. Important to note here that Kentucky is one of the larger producers of industrial hemp in the United States. Rounding out Walsh's bad list was the decrease in minorities and women in executive positions in the industry. He provided data that showed peak levels for women and minorities in 2019, 36.8% and 28% respectively. In 2022, these numbers have dropped to 23.1% and 12.1%. We have a lot of work to do here, and it is not just businesses that need to lead in creating a more diverse workforce and C-suite. Consumers can help considerably by supporting BIPOC and women-owned businesses. We encourage you to be proactive about searching these companies out and asking for these options at your local dispensary. And finally, the ugly. Capital is becoming harder and harder to come by for those companies looking to grow. Raising capital has always been difficult and expensive in this industry because of the risk and federal prohibition which prevents access to credit from banks. It's too soon to tell when this might let up. Passing of the Safe Banking Act in Congress would help, and it looks like we may be close. But we've been here before, and I've been left disappointed. Well, that's a lot of bad news, and we can't exit this episode feeling blue. Let's end it on some high notes. Some states are experiencing growth. Maine, Massachusetts, Michigan, Arizona, and Illinois. And let's not forget that we have New Jersey newly up and running and New York coming online. Chris Walsh also noted this year's big stories. The Charlotte's Web Major League Baseball deal, Circle K with GTI, and the partnership between Uber Eats and Leafly to deliver cannabis in Toronto. That points to mainstream acceptance of cannabis, which bodes well for future positive outcomes in legislation. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks go out to my creative crew at High Fidelity, Olaf Willoughby and Shane Lynn, and to the team at Syntax in Motion for producing this show. A special shout out to Will Davis, my sound engineer. Thanks to you for listening to us today. If you enjoy what you heard, subscribe on our website, hi5vt.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Better yet, like, share, rate, or leave a comment. You can request topics or interviews for our show by emailing us at bewell at hi5vt.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, be well and have fun out there.